Welcome to the podcast for Windsor Road Baptist Church. Prepare your heart to receive God's message. I can't remember if I've shared the story with you, but if I have, then stiff cheddar. I was chuffed discovering that expression. Never heard of that. Stiff cheddar. One Sunday morning, Mrs. Jones is getting ready for church when she noticed Mr. Jones had not moved a finger toward getting dressed. Perplexed, she asked, Dear, why aren't you getting ready for church? He said, because I don't want to go. She asked, do you have any reasons? Yes, I do. I have three reasons, in fact. First, the congregation is cold. Second, no one likes me. And third, I just don't want to go. Mrs. Jones wisely replied, Well, honey, I have three reasons why you should go. First, the congregation is warm. Second, there are a few people who actually like you. And third, you're the pastor. (laughs) By the way, Mr. and Mrs. Jones are not Sue and I. Just want to make sure you know that. A blogger wrote... Honesty is a virtue, but sometimes it's almost better to fib. Here's a list of furfies that people told for not being at work. An employee couldn't come to work because she accidentally got on a plane. I just put my casserole in the oven. I poked myself in the eye with a hairbrush. I broke my foot after I got up from the toilet. An employee called in to say his grandmother died, except she has died on two other previous occasions already. My dog ate my ID badge and bus pass. This is the adult version of the dog ate my homework. I don't know what to think of the last one, but an employee called in and told his boss that he had woke up in a good mood and he didn't want to ruin it. The title of my message this morning is, Why Making Excuses Will Not Work With God. In the next two weeks, we're going to be looking at Jesus' conflict with the Jewish leadership of his day. The first clash is about the source of his power to heal and perform exorcisms. On the surface, the concerns they raise and express seem genuine and reasonable, But as we will see, there there were nothing more than excuses for rejecting Jesus, his message, and ultimately excuses for disobeying God. In the second class, Jesus condemns them for their self-righteousness and hypocrisy, but with dire consequences because immediately after this encounter, they decided that Jesus must be eliminated, and that's for next week. The first catalyst for the conflict was Jesus healing and casting an evil spirit out of a mute man. Unlike some other instances of healing, Luke links the man's disability to demonic activity. And by the way, the passage comes from Luke 11, verses 14 to 20. This story is a timely reminder to all of us about the reality of evil spirits at work in our world today. The spirit world is not to be scoffed at, is not to be ignorant of, and is not to be afraid, nor be afraid of either. 
We have been given authority, Jesus says. I have given you all authority to cast evil spirits, to tread upon serpents and scorpions. Now, this, this miracle caused a reaction. The crowd marveled at Jesus because they could all see that Jesus, that, that his power to heal was extraordinary. But was it sourced from God or Beelzebub, the prince of demons, a clear reference to Satan? Some in the crowd were insistent that the power behind Jesus to cast out evil spirits was not divine, but demonic. In Matthew and Mark's account, the sum in the crowd were the Pharisees and the scribes, the spiritual leaders of the day. Still another section of the crowd, perhaps influenced by the Pharisees and scribes, asked for a sign, a corroborating miracle to prove that Jesus was working for God and not for the devil. Now remember, this is just one of many, many miracles of Jesus that they had witnessed him perform. So it begs the question, how would another miracle that Jesus would perform would cause them to finally believe, right? This is just one of many miracles. So how would another miracle that Jesus performed would get them over the line? This means that their question about the origin of Jesus' authority and their request for a sign were disingenuous. In other words, they were simply making excuses for rejecting Jesus. Jesus, in turn, refuted their horrible accusation and their excuse-making that he was an agent of Satan by using a common illustration of a divided house to make the point that Satan would never work against himself. Jesus stressed that it is God who is behind his work, not Satan, and therefore they can no longer be indifferent to his claim as the Messiah. The display of God's power through him signals the arrival of God's invisible kingdom, which is one of the great promises of the Old Testament. God's rule on earth has begun trans transforming the hearts of people one person at a time. He then illustrated this point with a picture of siege warfare in, in which Satan depicted as a strong feudal lord who has fortified his house, fully armed, guarding his possessions, is attacked, overpowered and defeated by someone stronger. And Jesus is that someone stronger. The days of Satan are numbered, Jesus tells the crowd. And Peter, the apostle Peter, affirmed this in an excerpt from his sermon to Cornelius and his household in Acts chapter 10, verses 36 to 38. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. And that is our mission as well. Or in John chapter 3, verse 8, the second part, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. So the critical issue at hand is what will the crowd do with the implications of the healing and exorcism of the mute men? 
Brothers and sisters, when it comes to deciding about Jesus and his unique claims, there is no neutral ground. Everyone must choose to either believe in him and submit to his lordship or reject him. We're either with him or against him. And the consequences of this choice are enormous, a point which Jesus underscores through a series of four exhortations in the following passage from verses 24 to 26. The first is a parable. Jesus said, when an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert searching for rest. But when it finds none, it says, I will return to the person I came from. And so it returns and finds that its former home is all swept and in order. Then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they all enter the person and live there. And so that person is worse off than before. Jesus is obviously linking this parable with the exorcism that he had performed earlier to make the point that if a person who's been set free from evil spirits, like the mute men, doesn't follow up God's act of grace and mercy by turning to him in faith and repentance, the opportunity of a, for permanent reversal will be lost. To be rid of an evil spirit is not enough. The mute man needs God in his life. He needs to come under God's benevolent rule and reign. Addressing the symptoms instead of the core problem is ineffective and problematic. So Jesus is pleading with the crowd and he's pleading with us, don't mess about, please turn to God. Don't make any excuses why you can't turn to God in repentance and in prayer for whatever he's speaking to us about. By hardening our hearts, we run the risk of our hearts getting harder and harder and harder until we cannot discern God's voice to us any longer. Every time we reject God's pleading and appeal, there are consequences. There are consequences. So Jesus is pleading to us. Listen to God. Respond to God. Don't harden your heart against his plea. Don't harden your heart against his message. And right in the middle of this confrontation, a woman in the crowd pronounces a blessing on Jesus' mother. She cries out, blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. She was thanking Jesus for his ministry. In that culture, it was not unusual to honor a mother by the accomplishments of her son. In response, Jesus replied, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Jesus was not being ungrateful for her gratitude. Rather, he was pleading to the woman and to the crowd at large, please take God's grace and mercy with greater urgency by doing what he's telling you now. Don't spurn God's act of grace and mercy. And this is the second exhortation Jesus makes about not making excuses when it comes to second chances that God gives us because we never know what's around the corner. 
We never know what's around the corner. This reminds me, doesn't, and you too, I'm sure, of stories of people in precarious situations, asking God to deliver them. And if God did, he would start taking, the, start taking him seriously. Have you ever done that? God, if you get me out of this, if you answer this prayer, I promise I will do that thing that you've asked me to do, that I have rejected, that I have disobeyed. Have you ever prayed that prayer? Right? God, get me out of this situation, and I'll start making the changes that I know I need to be making. I'll start taking you seriously. I'll start taking my relationship with you seriously. Just answer this prayer. And God does. And you're grateful. And God is grateful that you're grateful. But then nothing happens. Making excuses instead of obeying God is a dangerous thing to do. He appreciates our thanksgiving. But he's more concerned that we do the very thing he's pleading with us to do. For the third exhortation, Jesus turns to their history, to the Israelites' history, to warn them about making excuses for rejecting him in God's word by asking for signs. Verse 29, as the crowd pressed in on Jesus, he said, this evil generation keeps asking me to show them a miraculous sign, but the only sign I will give them is the sign of Jonah. What happened to him was a sign of the people of Nineveh that God had sent him. What happens to the Son of Man will be a sign to these people that he was sent by God. The Queen of Sheba will stand up against this generation on Judgment Day and condemn it. For she came from a distant land to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Now someone greater than Solomon is here, but you refuse to listen to him. The people of Nineveh will also stand up, stand up against this generation on Judgment Day and condemn it, for they repented of their sins at the preaching of Jonah. Now someone greater than Jonah is amongst them, but yet you refuse to repent. The sign of Jonah is a call to the crowd listening to Jesus to repent from all the excuses for why they will not accept and believe in Jesus' words. In the same way, Jonah called the people of Nineveh to repentance. Jonah's life-giving, life-changing message ended up saving an entire city from God's judgment. Thousands of years ago, Queen Sheba, Queen of Sheba, traveled 2,400 kilometers to meet King Solomon to find out more about him to listen to words of wisdom from him and to hear about his great God, the source of his wisdom. Such was the value and worth she placed on the wisdom of King of Solomon. Now in their midst is someone supremely greater than Jonah and Solomon with an incredibly far more precious, far more life-changing message and their responses to spurn him by making excuses. That was Jesus' point. The queen of Sheba, the citizens of Nineveh who repented will stand on judgment day in condemnation of them for their woeful response. And the question is, will queen of Sheba and the people of Nineveh do the same with us? Spurning. 
God's precious word to us. In the final exhortation, Jesus uses the image of lamp to make his point about how crucial it is that we respond to Jesus instead of offering him our excuses. He says his teaching is like a lamp, which at that time was a candle or type of oil lamp. No one goes to the effort of lighting a lamp only to hide it away. Doesn't make sense. No, the lamp would be placed on a lampstand, lampstand with light emanating from it for all to see. That is the purpose of Jesus' message, to be revealed, not concealed, and therefore we are without excuse when we say before God, well, I didn't know, I didn't see what you were trying to say, I didn't hear what you were trying to say, and Jesus will say to us, no, 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 no. I have made my words to you clear. If I expect an obedient response from you, then I would make my command very clear, would make my instructions very clear to you. Otherwise, I'm being unjust and unfair. But if I expect you to obey, then that, that implies that the instruction that I've given would be made very clear. We are without excuse. God will hold us accountable to what he has told us, not what he hasn't told us. But light, Jesus says, needs to be received. And so Jesus compares the eye to a lamp in the sense that our eye is a doorkeeper. What the eye lets into the mind shapes the person. When our eyes are good, that is, it lets in God's light, then that person will be full of light. But if our eyes are bad, that is, if it rejects God's light, then the darkness within their hearts will remain. In other words, Jesus is appealing to, to his audience to respond to the light of God's word by receiving it into their hearts without delay. All of us have made excuses for why we don't do what we ought to do, what, why we don't do what we should be doing, why we don't do what is good and right for us, like not reading our Bibles more consistently or praying on a more regular basis, or why we're not sharing our faith with someone in our front lines, and on and on it goes. Perhaps why we're not even attending church more regularly. And I don't mean it in a legalistic way. You know what I'm saying. But I hear some of you say, Mark, there are legitimate explanations for the examples you've just cited. Shouldn't they be taken into account? Of course, they should be taken into account. As long as we know the difference between making excuses and offering explanations. As long as we know the difference between an excuse and an explanation, and the difference between the two is not always easy to identify. But I will put it to you that the key difference between an excuse and an explanation is this. When explanations are used to avoid and shirk responsibility, when explanations are used to rationalize, to justify, to defend, to minimize, to blame others for your behavior, then they become excuses. Let me read that again. 
The key difference between an excuse and explanation is this. When explanations are used to avoid and shirk personal responsibility for our choices, when explanations are used to rationalize, to justify, to defend, to minimize, to blame others for our behavior, then they become excuses. Excuses typically take the focus on oneself and place it on any, everything and everyone else. Let me give you an example. I, like all of you, want to be on time for my appointments. I don't think anybody here wants to be deliberately late. So I want to be on time for my appointments. But I have a thing about being too early. <laughs> I don't know why, maybe I should see a counselor to explore why that is. But I have a thing about being early. Now, Sue, on the other hand, doesn't mind being early because she hates being late even more. Does that make sense? She hates being late even more. Anyways, because I hate being early more than being late, I often cut things very fine. Sometimes, not sometimes, to my shame, I, I cut things way too fine on too many occasions, to the annoyance of Sue. Sometimes I get away with it, with you know, making it on time for my appointments, but other times I end up being late, for which I am very sorry for. I do want to change. So I tell myself I need to leave early. Mark, it's okay to be early. That's all right, just be early. There's nothing wrong with that. Now what I've done there is I've just given you an explanation for why I'm late. Now, if I'm making excuses for why I'm late, it would go something like this. Sorry I'm late, but you wouldn't believe my luck. Not only was I stuck behind a driver wanting to make a left turn for the past five kilometers, I had such a bad run with red lights. Oh, did I tell you I had to drive past several schools getting here? And you didn't tell me that. Well, that slowed me down. You can see the difference there, can't you? Between an explanation and making excuses. It's my dog, it's my children. Uh, uh, it's excuses, we, we know what it is. And by the way, in the first example, uh, well, not, not the first example, in the, in, in the second example, that was not a sincere apology. Better not to apologize than offer an insincere apology. So I'm preaching to myself. I know I am I, late, but it's something that I want to work on. But far more important is that I don't make excuses for why I'm late. I just need to accept the fact that I left it too late. When, when I left, I left it too late. I didn't allow a buffer for, you know, all the red lights. I didn't allow a buffer for a slow driver in front of me. It's me. I, I need to take ownership. I need to own the fact that I'm late because I left my house too late. And there are no excuses. And true repentance will say, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. I'm late. Because I'm not honoring you when I'm late for things. I'm not honoring your time. But if you have a genuine reason for being late, that's okay. 
Yeah? Just don't make excuses. It is one thing to ask God for a sign to confirm something you're sensing that God wants you to do. But it's quite another when our endless requests for a sign are nothing more than excuses to disobey God or to partially obey God or doing what we know is the good and right thing. Sure, we must be careful not to rush into things, but when God says it is time to act on what he's told you, then we must act. And one major reason for our excuse making could be fear. It could be the fear of making mistakes, the fear of failure or loss of control. Whatever the reason, God gets our fear. But he also knows that if our fear is left unchecked, it will cripple our faith in him. And that is why Jesus has to and will call us to step outside of our boat like he did with Peter in Matthew chapter 14 and calls us to walk toward him on water. And the purpose there is to strengthen our faith muscles while weakening our fear muscles. But like Peter, we will inevitably notice the storm. We will inevitably notice the strong wind and the waves instead of Jesus. Well, we, be, we will become terrified. And as we become terrified, and as fear seizes us, we will begin to sink. And when this happens, do what Peter did. And I love his response. Save me, Lord. And Jesus is there. And he will immediately reach out to us, grab us, and say with tenderness, you have so little faith. Why did you doubt me? Because he loves us, he will get us to step outside of our boat and call us to walk toward himself again and again and again and again. It's necessary for our relationship with him. Just recently at a one-day conference for pastors and church staff, I had to complete a faith assignment. Toward the end of the conference, we had to be in pairs to pray for one another. The facilitator said, don't ask the person what their prayer need is. What I want you to do is ask God to show you what and how he wants you to pray for that person. Remember Tanya and Sue, you were there. Although I've been in situations like this before, I did not feel any less anxious or fearful. I closed my eyes, trying not to let my anxiety get the upper hand. And then I had these words come to my mind to say to the person, quote, it will be all right. It will be all right. Do not fear or be discouraged. The cynical part of me spoke up very soon, scoffing. I'm making all this up in my head. It probably means nothing. It's all of your doing, it's all of your imagination. So in other words, the, 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 the cynical part of me was saying to me, shut up, shut up. Stay in your boat, stay in your comfort zone. Just pray a general prayer. But I felt very strongly that God was saying, share it with this guy, share that impression that you have with the guy. It's not made up, it's from me. And so I did. Uh, I did share it with a guy and uh, some extra bits as I began praying for him. He in turn prayed a short prayer for me and then I opened my eyes to thank him. And he looked at me with tears in his eyes. 
Thank you. I needed to hear that. I needed to hear that. I was blown away. Here I was thinking I made it up. It's just me eating too many pizzas. My wild imagination. I'm so glad by the grace and mercy of God that he pushed me to step out of my boat for the guy's sake. Because I could tell on his face he was just you know, it wasn't, wasn't about me. I, I, I didn't feel, oh, look at me, I'm wonderful. I just felt so humbled by that experience that God would use me to speak to a guy whom I don't know all that well, certainly didn't know his circumstance. I could have offered excuses, 10, 20, 30 reasons why I shouldn't do that. My reputation, for instance, and both of us could have missed this blessed moment had I yielded to the temptation to make excuses. I'm so grateful God did not let me. Jesus said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. When we make excuses rather than take full responsibility for our attitudes, actions, and decisions, we're sinning in the same way as Adam and Eve did. Making excuses is a serious and insidious problem because it is a clever disguise for disobeying God or clever disguise for partially obeying God. If we are to grow our faith in God and our character, we must stop making excuses. This morning, Jesus tells us very clearly that making excuses will not work with God. So there are four applications and you might, all four applications might be relevant to you, or maybe one, or maybe none, but here they are. Is there something you need to do that you're putting off? Offering every excuse under the sun, why you haven't done it, why you can't do it, why, 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 excuses why you haven't been following up on what he's asking of you. Is it to see a counselor? Is it to talk to me, perhaps? Is it to get prayer? Is it to get help? Is it to read your Bible more consistently and pray more consistently and attend church more consistently? Perhaps as you heard the message this morning, God is bringing these things to your attention. If so, remember the words of Jesus. Blessed rather, rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. The second application, as you heard the message this morning, perhaps God is putting a finger on your fear or your laziness or some other character flaw as the reasons for your procrastination, for putting things off. If so, pray into it this week or talk to someone about it. Remember the words of Jesus. Blessed, rather, are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Thirdly, is God convicting you this morning that you're someone who is habitual and an expert in making excuses for why you haven't attended to things rather than someone who takes full responsibility for your attitudes, actions, and decisions? You always have the perfect excuse. This week, turn to God. Repent and receive his forgiveness, his wisdom, 
and why you are the way you are and his power to be different. And lastly, if you're here in this room or if you're watching on Zoom or on Facebook and you're not a follower of Jesus, no more excuses. They will not work with God. Even ones like, God, I'm too far gone. I'm not a nice person. If you're like that, Jesus says to you, come follow me. I'm not come for the righteous, but for sinners. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. If you're looking for a sign, this morning's message is the sign you've been looking for, to put your trust in Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior. Don't put off your decision. If you'd like to know more about how to do this, you can see me after the service. If you're joining us online, go to our church website, www.windsorroad.org. Send me a message using our contact page. Make that decision to follow Jesus this morning if you're not a follower of Jesus. Let us pray. Father, we have heard much this morning. I ask that you will distill all that we have heard to perhaps a word, to perhaps a couple of sentences, distill it, Lord, to something that we desperately need to respond to. You are warning us. You are cautioning us this morning. No more excuses. No more excuses for why we disobey you, why we partially obey you, why we don't do the things that we know to be right and to be good. Father, I ask that you will wrestle with us in your grace and mercy this week. Wrestle with us. Pin us to the ground, as it were. Grab us by our collars. Give us a shake in your love, in your compassion, but yet in your firmness. Give us a shake. Look us in the eye and speak to us, Lord, about the thing that concerns you for us, your concern for us, the correction you want to bring into our lives. No more excuses. I pray you would grant us grace and the power to respond to your word this morning. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and mercy. Thank you for your patience with us and your faithfulness to us and your willingness to persevere with us. But Lord, help us also remember your challenge to us today. If you hear his word, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Blessed are those who hear and obey my word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you have been blessed by the message. Windsor Road Baptist Church is a growing intergenerational and international community of people committed to whole life discipleship. Please visit us at windsorroad.org.au to connect with us and to learn more about our church.